You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson, and I'm joined today by Bruce Adams. Good afternoon, Bruce. How are you today? Doing well. Enjoying life as much as you can during a pandemic and a civil war. Uh, we're but, st- uh, we're still on with this pandemic thing, huh? Like, we're still sticking I know, to right? that. Well, I mean, that's what they're saying. So that's, that's what, what they're they, saying. They tell us. But I, I think it's because of what they're saying is why we're saying it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So actually, we're going to go over some statistics today. We found a survey today that was quite shocking. And you love statistics. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to look at some of the top countries that are out there, mainly the U.S., uh, Japan, Sweden, Germany, France. And I, I don't know. I think there's I think Denmark's in there, too. Yes. Uh, for a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So we're going to go over some of that. Uh, and we're going to I might talk a little bit about what's going on in Portland. They uh, the protesters broke into a police union's building and they set a peaceful fire. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Is that is that like is that like lighting up a joint or something? I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But whatever mm-hmm. it was, the most important thing to understand about it is it was peaceful. So we have mm-hmm. to maintain mm-hmm. that it was peaceful. We have to understand that. But you know, I'm actually I, I've got the uh, I've actually it's it's kind of nice outside. The nice breeze is blowing, so I got the window open. So let's hope that the background noise doesn't get too horrendous. But uh, if it does, I'll uh, I'll close that up. But anyway, uh, anyway, let's go ahead and get started. All right. So Trump has come out and he signed uh, an executive order out. Now this is. This is eliminating the payroll tax, which, you know, we've been screaming about eliminating the payroll tax for years. So they're eliminating the payroll tax. They're extending unemployment benefits to $400 per week, not $600. So they're losing $200 a week extra. They're going to defer student loan payments through the end of the year, and they're going to extend protection against eviction. Didn't give a time frame on that. The administration is also looking at cuts to income taxes for lower and middle income individuals, as well as cuts to capital gains taxes. You know something? I've been saying this for years. That capital gains tax shouldn't even exist. It should not even exist. You've already paid tax on that money. So you're essentially being you're, you're being double taxed. That's what it is. So if you have money that you're earning interest on uh, or earning on that that capital, you've already paid taxes on that. You shouldn't have to pay any more. It's the same thing as the um, uh, the inheritance tax. You know, that criminal mm-hmm. inheritance tax we have. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the inheritance tax? Let's say that you own a family farm. OK, just to put this into perspective, let's say you own a family farm and that family member wills that farm to you. Okay, they pass away and they will that farm to you, father, uncle, grandfather, whatever. They will that property and those assets to you. You now owe the criminal state 50 percent of that farm. Now, explain to me, explain to me how in the hell you owe the government 50 percent of that family farm. What in the world did they do to help you build that family farm? Nothing, nothing. So why do you owe the state 50 percent of your farm? Do you know that the communist Chinese don't even have such a tax, nor do the Russians? So that begs the question, why do we even have it? But he's going across the board here with uh, with all these taxes. He's going down the uh, down the list here. Uh, he's cutting the payroll tax. He's cutting the, uh, the, the unemployment benefits. But we're still kind of keeping it, even though it's being drawn down. Uh, deferred student loan repayments. 
I don't see why the Democrats are even arguing. Uh, and they've extended protections against eviction, so no one's going to lose their house. So he's doing everything that that they want, apart from keeping the 600 a week. And they're arguing that he shouldn't cut the payroll tax, but they've been for payroll tax cuts in the past. So I'm torn on this one. I, I want some of these things, right? Payroll tax cut. That That's a big deal. But it's not under the president's jurisdiction to write an executive order or sign an executive order to do this. Power of the purse is Congress. So it's not within his his legal bounds. True. Um, but if time's of the essence and Congress is not acting and they're deadlocked, you've got the House Democrats that want God only knows how many trillions. And the Republicans aren't going to vote for that. So that's not going to get through. The Democrats are going to use it in the House as leverage to get whatever they want worked into it. They'll come out and they'll scream compromise. And it's not compromise at all. It's it's them bending to uh, it's it's getting the other side to bend to it. And then it gets pushed onto the Senate and then it becomes a political football and everybody loses. Mm hmm. And it, I, I totally get the concern with it and everything. It's still unconstitutional. Like you, he can't do that. So even even if it is in a in like an, a, you know, an emergency situation or we need something now. Well, tough. Congress is going to have to get on it. You know, I, I mean, it, it's a uh, I don't want to set I don't want the president setting this new um, precedent to where they can just pass any like if we're OK with it, if we allow it to happen and nobody resists which obviously they're going to resist because it's Trump, right? But mm -hmm. if we don't resist it and a Democrat comes in and says, hey, we're going to abolish the Second Amendment and just writes it off as an executive order or, or something to that effect, that, that's not within their, their bounds. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to see something like that happening. It just irritates me because we know what needs to be done and we don't have time. And I hate to say that, like, I, I really hate to say that because we always, you know, mock the, uh, the people in Congress that are saying, oh, well, we don't have time. We just have to act. We can't think. Right. But in this case, you're kind of jammed up, aren't you? So, I mean, I get, I get where you're coming from, but we're kind of jammed up in all this. So someone's got to take some kind of action. I know it's not within his purview to do that, but if the people in the two houses of Congress just kind of can, you know, turn it into a political football, the people are going to suffer as a result of it because these people can't behave. So, uh, OK, I, I don't want to see people suffer. I, I don't. Uh, at the same time, I'm totally fine with Congress not being able to do anything. I'm I'm fine with the government being in a deadlock and not doing anything. That's yeah, how okay. I prefer it anyway, is they don't <laughs> right. do anything. And the thing is, well, at is least they're not screwing Congress, us over, right? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's funny because um, that's exactly what they're doing with this payroll tax and right. or not uh, payroll tax, <laughs> right. but the, the, the bailouts and everything and the payroll tax and the, the, all the other taxes. But uh, that aside, if they don't do anything and the people continue to suffer, which, you know, because of all the lockdowns and everything that they, they will continue to suffer, they will get disenfranchised with who they've elected and it will affect change, essentially. So whether or not that's good or bad, yeah, it depends on the direction that the people lean, I guess. It could be a boon for the communists and it could be a boon for the uh, libertarian type. So we'll... Um, We'll see. Time time will tell. The media is kicking Trump's teeth in for signing this executive order uh, and, and sidestepping Congress and, and doing all that. Is it really feasible to say that, you know, can the media like can, can this guy do anything right in the media? Can he do anything right? Is there anything he can do right at all? Resign. 
<laughs> I don't think that's going to be enough. I, I really don't think that's going to be enough. It's probably not, but uh, I mean, they'll probably demand something else if he did. Do you, do you remember the uh, Do you remember the clip of Schumer that came out right in the very beginning of his administration, and he went back? Schumer was on the uh, the hot mic, and he said, "Look, he likes us. He likes us, so we're going to do this." <laughs> it's but see, Trump hasn't played ball, right? He hasn't played ball with him. He he's done a deal. He's made a deal with them on certain cases when it comes to certain things, but it hasn't been an actual um, bending to one side or the other. But the media, you can't win in their eyes at all with this guy. Nothing. So I, honestly, no. I don't think even resigning would do it, because if you think that this is going to go away, if you think, OK, well, we just get rid of Trump and that's going to go away. This is not going to stop. OK, this ends only one way. I hate to say that, but this ends only one way. But if you think that Trump simply going away is going to restore some kind of peace, you're sorely mistaken. These people will not be peaceful at this point. They have nothing left. They're going for broke. I cannot emphasize that enough because I've looked at history. I know how these things go. This is a revolutionary tactic that they're using, that they're employing from one side. Well, from both sides, technically, if you're looking at the U.S. It's all encompassing in the U.S., so it's going to have to be stood up against. But the media, right, the media doesn't really pay him any attention when he actually does something right. If he does something right, you never hear about it. But the media even says, OK, well, maybe there's maybe there's not any any criticism of, of the president. I mean, do you think the media criticizes Trump? I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, we see the media criticizing Joe Biden all day, don't we? I mean, they, they make it. Their, they make their living based on that. And you, mm, anyone mm. probably knows at this point, I'm being completely facetious. I'm not being serious. And the reason mm, I say that is mm. because I want you to hear a clip of CNN's Brian Stelter talking about the criticizing of Joe Biden and the media criticizing of Trump. All right. You got to hear this. You couldn't make this up. You could not make the magnitude of this up. This is so unbelievable. Sort of sharpened their teeth on Bill Clinton. This has been the way they've built audiences for three decades now. Yeah, I don't want to claim it's new. I just am arguing that it's getting worse. It's getting more severe. Uh, Aaron, your view of this, you know, when you see um, entire media companies essentially exist to tear down Joe Biden, is there an equivalent to that on the left tearing down Trump? Uh, there, there really isn't. There isn't. There, there really isn't. These people kick his teeth in every day, multiple times a day. Pull up any news site, any mainstream news site in the U.S. I don't care if it's CNN, I don't care if it's MSNBC, and you tell me if any of those are pro-Trump or against Trump. And I'm not a cheerleader for Trump by saying that. I'm just calling it out like I see it. You look at some of these headlines, you pull up, hell, you pull up the Microsoft search engine every day, Bing or whatever it is. It's nothing but here's the list of things Trump lied about today. Trump's go it alone stimulus won't do much to lift the recovery. What, cutting payroll taxes? Deferring people's uh, student loans for the year? If people don't have to pay their loans for uh, for the next uh, four or five months, that's not going to give them some uh, some extra money to, to spend and, and to help them keep themselves afloat. I just I, I see the disconnect and it's just it's appalling. Because, I mean, you talk about divisiveness. This is it. This is the dividing factor. With us continuing to be divided instead of united against this problem, then we're never going to come to solutions. And when I say coming to solutions, there was one populace of people over the last couple of days that, uh, that came to some kind of a unified message, let's say. Now, Bruce, we talked a little bit about the, um, the protest in Berlin, you know, a couple mm -hmm. of times. We, we talked about it. And we were we were wrong the first time, right? The media reported mm -hmm. that there were between twenty and forty thousand. Well, that was incorrect. And then we came back and said, okay, well, there were five hundred thousand people that were out there in the streets, and that's what we genuinely believed is what it was. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
a report that I saw this morning, we were wrong again. So I thought, all right, well, you know, we're just going to have to make it right. They put 1.3 million people in the streets out there, and you didn't hear so much as a footnote on page 14 about it in any newspaper. 1.3 million protesters in the streets. Do you know what would happen if you put 1.3 million protesters in front of any state house, in front of any city hall, say like New York or something where they have millions of people? Can you imagine 1.3 million New Yorkers out there in front of de Blasio's place? Can you imagine? We played that clip of him here yesterday. In New York, he was giving the speech about um, or the briefing about the checkpoints being set up, the $10,000 fines. I've interviewed some of the worst criminals you could possibly imagine. And let me tell you something, the tone of that man's voice, the way he speaks, the way he was gulping when he was saying certain parts of it, talking about the fine amounts, that man's terrified with what he's saying. Do you understand how scared these people are that are in public office? Do you understand how terrified they are of peaceful people redressing their government for grievances? They know that they're in the wrong here. They know that they can't win this fight. They're not going to win this, but they're all in, right? I've been saying for months, Marty and I were talking. I I said, look, man, all their chips are on the table. It's two outs, bottom of the ninth, man. They're swinging for the fences. They got nothing left. This is it for them. It's do or die. That's why none of this COVID stuff is going to end. You think it's about a pandemic? You think that's got credibility with people? You think the media plays a role in that? Well, the media, maybe, maybe. And it depends on how many people you can get sucked into that. And what caught me about that was a survey that came out. And we're going to get into some of these figures here now. The survey was people that believe the number of deaths in the United States are somewhere in the neighborhood of, listen to this, are somewhere in the neighborhood of about 30 million people. They think that 30 million people have succumbed to COVID-19 in the U.S. And the figure is actually around 100, what is it now, 155, 160,000, something like that. And those are cooked up numbers. Somebody died of a shark attack in California a couple of weeks ago. It was ruled a COVID-19 death. So people think that upwards of 30 million people have succumbed to that in the U.S. Okay, well, there's only one culprit for that, right? It's It's got to be the media. It's the hysteria behind it. Based on this survey that we looked at, it was generally that was across six countries. Bruce, you had to look at some of the results of that survey. So let's let's get into some of these numbers because some of these numbers are pretty shocking. So where do you want to start with it? I mean, um, uh, you know, we could we could just... Go with it in order, I guess. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, the first one. So government well, decisions. They yeah. su- well, hold on a second. Let's let's start with how many people they surveyed. Okay. So they surveyed six countries. Yeah. Right. So they they took six countries here, six samples. So they've got the U.S., they've got the U.K., they've got Sweden, they've got Germany, France, and Japan. A three point three plus or minus margin of error and quotas and weights on gender, age, region uh, in each country. So they've done. This is the fourth wave. Yes, this is the fourth. So this is the fourth survey that they've taken. So they've done. Let me see. The first one took place March 30th to April 3rd. The second one, April 27th to May 1st. And the third from June 1st to June 5th. And then, of course, this one from uh, July 10th to July 15th. So what they're doing is they're comparing this survey to the previous one that they did to see the difference between these two. And then I'm assuming when they're done, they'll do a, a comparison from one to however many they do. That's my guess. I don't know that for sure, but that would make the most sense because you want to gauge the difference between, you know, the beginning all the way to now. So, uh, OK, where, where do you want to start? I'm sorry. I just thought we'd pretext with the samples they took. That, that That's that's a good. Yeah, that's good to pretext that because it's when, it, when you're looking at these countries, technically uh, only surveying a thousand people isn't really a very big sample size. But nonetheless, yeah, uh, government decisions, right? Uh, so this is this is kind of their the, the feeling towards whether or not we should focus on 
the economy or focus on, you know, reducing the spread, right? UK, for example, mm-hmm. um, they were more for limiting spread. Uh, when this started out, about 74% of them were for limiting spread and only 13% were for avoiding recession. It's kind of changed a little bit since then. 24% are for avoiding recession, 56% limiting the spread. U.S. is a little bit different. Uh, we've gone, you know, 61% wanted to limit the spread, and now we're at 54%, uh, the most recent one. Uh, it's kind of gone up a little bit uh, because it was at 52%. So I don't know. It's just more or less these all the countries polled here were more concerned about limiting the spread and uh, then avoiding a recession. It, it, it kind of baffles me when they're doing this because, yes, we're going to potentially lose people because of the spread. But at the same time, if you have a recession, you're losing life years out of that, right? When you're, when you're wealthy or have more income, that means you can afford better uh, medical care. You can afford better foods, exercise, so, so on and so forth. And that increases your, your lifespan. Mm-hmm. If you can't afford those things, that reduces it. So that's that's we're losing life years because of this whole lockdown. The agenda in the beginning was it was that right. It was avoid the spread. That's what everybody was told. That's why I say I can see the media playing a role in this because it was that it was. Well, we need to social separate. We need to. This is before masks came into the, the equation. But as time has moved on and the data has reflected what we're seeing now, or I guess lack thereof, and that means deaths. We were told the doomsday predictions in the beginning, all two and a half million dead. Like right now, the U.S. should see four million dead, according to the numbers. We don't have that. We we don't have anywhere near that. So the initial data was flawed, and now we see that. But yet we're still continuing to allow these people to retain power. See, this is the problem. This is the disconnect. So people, I think, are less concerned now with limiting the spread because they've now discovered, hey, wait a minute, all these people in the beginning told us that this was going to happen if we didn't do this. Well, we did all that and we didn't have any of that, but yet they're still in. So now I think people are less concerned. That's my take on it. Yeah, less concerned. But the other thing is, is we're, we're finding that. Look at that. We we have we, we've had medications that help versus COVID-19. We've had those for years, 50 years, in fact. On top of that, we uh, we're finding that the uh, fatality rate in the age age range of um, what was it sixty five or younger is a point zero 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 four percent fatality rate. Mm-hmm. Less than the flu. Wow, less than the flu. So we're shutting down over this. So I I feel like that sentiment is is kind of being spread a little bit, but at the same time, they're still wanting to lock down again. And, and right. it's still the majority of people are, are for like the masks and, you know, all this stuff, which, you know, teach their own. But yeah. So levels of concern. Uh, I thought this was an interesting part because you have people that I mean, there's there's people like us that are like, OK, look, uh, yes, we didn't want the hospitals to become overwhelmed in the beginning. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a legit thing. I mean, we're trying to pay attention to everyone else. We're thinking, hey, all right, we don't want to do this. We want we don't want to cause that. We don't want to do this to our our medical staff. We don't want to overwhelm our, our our infrastructure because, I mean, if that collapses, then it all goes wrong. And we're basing all that information on, uh, OK, well, China lied. So we don't want to take that risk. OK, so you take that necessary step to ensure that that doesn't happen. So that to me is in the initial stages, a level of concern, right? So we had a heightened state of concern in the beginning, right? 
in in uh, in wave one, which would be the back in March. Yes, we didn't mm-hmm. want that to happen. We didn't want that to happen. And the data in this survey reflects that if you look at wave one here. But as time went on and we realized, hey, wait a minute, uh, hospitals are empty. We're sending people home. All these people are now suffering from all these other diseases, yet the people refuse to open. The health, the quote, health officials refuse to open. The government officials are on board getting advice from these, quote, health officials that are wrong. And they're continuing. This, in turn, I think, is what's causing the drop in the levels of concern, because the levels of concern are dropping significantly, in my opinion. Example, business as a whole, okay, business in the country as a whole, right? In the U.S., 73% of people had a level of concern in the beginning, back in March. Now they're down to a 58% level of concern. Same thing in Germany, same thing in Japan, same thing in the U.K. U.K. is kind of stagnant, though. They're a little bit easier to read. But uh, the Germans, 66% level of concern. Now they're down to 45. Economy as a whole, the U.S. was at a 77% level of concern. Now they're down to 60. The health of people in the country as a whole, the U.S. was at 73% to start with. Now they're down to 57. So the level of concern is dropping as things continue to go on, as time moves on, and the more and more people understand, wait a minute, this is not, you know, people aren't dropping like flies. This is not Day of the Dead like what's going on on the, on the TV. So it's, you know, two and two is not equaling four here. And, and the numbers reflect that. Or do, or do you, are you seeing something different? No, I'm, that, that's what I'm seeing as well. It's uh, people are being less concerned over this as a whole. Uh, the one that's probably as far as the economy, it, it, actually, the UK is the one that's actually they're, they're still really concerned about their economy out of all of them polled that theirs did not drop much at all. 77 percent to 70 percent. That's not a huge change over multiple months. So but yeah, more or less the, the concerns, that's kind of what we're seeing. Uh, that's that's what I'm seeing, uh, at least uh, around here. Not a whole lot of concern, at least as a whole on a, on a large scale local area that that's kind of up in the air a little bit still i, I still think that one 50 50 i could i could see that as a 50 52 i could see that about right about 50 50 mm-hmm. uh the late i was confused about this one the labor market during the crisis so people were expecting to lose their jobs. They were worried the economy might collapse. And some people already lost their jobs. We saw the job loss in America. We're still dealing with that. We still have over 10% unemployment, right? Yeah, it's still pretty high. Yeah. These numbers really weren't too shocking. Uh, I did see that some concern actually went up in in some countries. But for the most part, these numbers either stayed stagnant or they went down a little bit. Uh, but I think it was kind of... I think that as time went on and people realized that the government was actually stepping in and taking action, as in the Paycheck Protection Program and things of that nature, people might have had a little bit more confidence restored. But at the same time, we're down here at the end of it, and now we're starting to slowly dial that back. I'm thinking that might be reflected in the next survey if they do another one. Yeah, the um, as far as uh, what we're seeing in the data here, this one actually is kind of weird to me. Fewer people were were expecting to lose their job than people that were expecting their company to collapse <laughs> or worried that their company will collapse. Not really sure how that one works. I don't know. You know, company collapses, you lose your job. So I kind of expected those two to be similar numbers and mm-hmm. they're not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, other than that, honestly, it, it fits about what we were saying about 20% uh, lost their job, right? That That's about what we were uh, kind of expecting. Though yeah. the, the numbers that we're seeing, that that's a about 20% uh, 
Uh, let's see. They're, they're saying in the range of 40% of small businesses, which makes up about uh, roughly 48% of all business in the U.S. So, you know, 20% of businesses collapsing roughly. And we still don't have an accurate number on that because we're looking at the next two or excuse me. The, yeah, the next two to four years. So the next 24 to 48 months, that's going to be a telltale sign as well. Right. Because you were talking right. about yeah. the numbers that uh, FEMA works up. It's possible that these could have long term effects in the short term, as in, um, mm-hmm. you know, the next two to five years, probably. Uh, so it's, right. that's that's long term, but it's not as you know, it's it's not like a 10 year you know long term or something like that. But uh, a small business right. shut down across the U.S. and quite frankly, across parts of Europe, too, uh, over the next two to five years. That's not good. You know, that's that's not good. But. I mean, these yep. are these are actions that are being taken by people that want to vertically integrate the economy. Well, yeah, I, I'm wanting to say that the Yelp was saying that the numbers are even higher than 40 percent. I want to say it was like 50 or 60 percent of, of the small businesses have shut down that were on Yelp and are permanently closed. Uh, I'm wanting to say that's what the range was. But yeah, it fits in with what what we were talking about with the uh, the other research that's been done by like FEMA and whatnot. Absolutely shameful. No need for it. Performance of institutions. Okay, this is good. This is good because they rated the leader of each respective country. They they rated the government as a whole, local governments, the health systems, the World Health Organization, food and essential retailers, online retailers, financial services companies, manufacturing, media, utilities and social media. So that's what they rated here. Uh, we don't have to go down through all this because there's a lot of data here to take in. But what stood out to you the most in the performance of the institutions? Uh, the, the one that really stood out to me is um, so uh, the way this data is being presented is that more or less this was, you know, kind of a, a positive thing. When, when, you, when you have the percentages here, you know, it, it's kind of presented as if it was a positive like these were the the approvals and it's got, you know, it's up a little bit and then it's down a little bit. So overall, it's it's approval. My understanding of what this is, is this is a it's like a scale test. Right. And and they give you a scale of like one to ten, for example. Mm-hmm. And you answer how good, you know, on that scale, the, the government or whatever it is that they're asking you about is doing. We didn't see anything higher than 52 percent. Which means overall, there's not approval of anything going on. That's my takeaway on the data here in the U.S. But the the main ones is the federal government doubled their disapproval. The state governments, you know, uh, they're, they, wow. they were they were doing okay in the beginning, oh and my then goodness. absolutely tanked. I didn't. <laughs> they even went from twenty six percent to five percent. Wow. Yeah. So and then you lose twenty percent approval. You lose twenty yeah. percent approval. In a few months. Well, it, OK, those are the lockdowns. It's the lockdowns yep. at the state level. That's what it's it is. Lockdowns. And not only and the, the lockdowns, but at the riots. Yeah. So the president uh, is unchanged, more or less. WHO was. See, my takeaway on some of these organizations, like the federal government, it was already not approved of to begin with. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> right. And then same with WHO. It was already not in, in a very high favorability. It's at 11 percent and then went down to 10 percent. So, yeah, it, it's I mean, more or less, it's not approved of uh, the, the things that were really good uh, or, or had a favorable approval rating were things like real uh, retail, like like food and online retailers. So Amazon, you know, things like that. 
those are the ones that had a high approval rating. Which makes sense because those are essential services that you kind of need regardless, you know, one way or another. So you kind of need right. those. Right. I didn't really see too much that stood out to me apart from that, man, that state approval number. That's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. That state government approval number. Japan. The French are not very happy, but they can't be pleased. Well, yeah, they're, they're pretty. I like Japan's, though. Yeah, uh, that's, as that's well. Something. Their health and welfare uh, ministry went down, which, you know, we we don't really like the whole the way welfare is. So we we agree there. Right. And mm-hmm. their government, they have a, a poor approval rating. But the WHO, that one was <laughs> that one was great because negative 35 percent is what they started at. And it went up one percent to negative 34 percent. Terrible. I, I thought that was fantastic. They're, they're, they're over there in like close to the Asian country and they understand how intertwined or they're in the Asian country, uh, you know, over towards China. And they understand the, the how entangled WHO is with China. They see it firsthand. Yeah, they don't really have um, they don't really get along all that well. Really? I thought everyone got along over there. I thought everybody was, yeah. you know, getting yeah, together, having, bit bad having blood. dinner together, you know, playing some baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a bit of bad blood over there between China and Japan. They do. The, the next section, the expected duration. Well, we know that that's going to get ratcheted up anyway. This is it for them. I, I'm talking about the, uh, the the world financial elite and the, uh, the the governments. This is it for them. This is their next plan to uh, to move forward. So, Expect this to continue on. The only way this stops is when we say it stops. I'll say that again and again and again. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if I sound like a broken record. The only way this stops is when people finally stand up and demand that it stops. That's the only time. It doesn't stop before that. The Germans are starting to get it. They're starting to get it. I think that's the largest protest I've heard about to date about any of this. Now, I could be wrong, but at least in any Western nation, I don't think I am. That's the largest protest to date. So it's going to take not only that, but it's going to take that 10 or 15 more times, 10 or 15 more times that size to finally start to get the message across. So you want to know how long this is going to go on? Only we can decide that. We the people. Only we decide how much longer this goes on. People keep thinking, okay, well, um, you know, we're just going to get through this election and then that's going to be it. No. (laughs) No, <laughs> you think you think, OK, Donald Trump wins, then this is going to continue. Right. OK, well, look, I got news for you. This pandemic was coming whether Donald Trump got elected or not. So you can take that however you like. But finance capital has been looking to hit the reset button for a decade and they haven't been able to figure out how to do it. Well, now they have it. This is their reset button. So this continues as long as we allow it to continue. And if we go down this road, if we go down this road as far as they will take it, and believe me, they will take it to a place where you don't want it to go. If we go down this road as far as they take it, then we deserve it. As much as I hate to say that, you know, I don't want to say that. But if we put up with this, then we deserve everything we get. Expected duration. I mean, we can go through all this, but it's clear what the data shows here. People expect this to continue any way you look uh, at it. Real, real quick, uh, just... Mm-hmm. When we go over this one, all, all we probably have to do is just read the titles because it's more or less twice. Everything just pretty much doubled on this one. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much. Yeah, that's what it is. So, OK. All right. Uh, so essentially. All right. So they're looking at impact on businesses and how they function. Yeah. OK. So that's that, those numbers doubled up. They were in the uh, 60% range to 80. Yeah, it's everything's doubled. Impact on the countries themselves. Uh, that was a doubling of the numbers. Impact on society overall. Impact on the economy, impact on travel and holidays, your household finances, and impact on your own life. 
Has this disrupted your life? Has this forced you to change your routines, forced you to change your uh, your day to day life? It should be noted that in these, uh, this was the, the question bit here. This is the percentage from each country choosing longer than a year or longer than two years for each issue. Uh, respondents across all countries were asked how long they think the effects of the virus on a range of different issues will last for. So anything longer than a year is what, what they're talking here. So all the ones in wave four are, you know, like the the lowest we see is probably the um, impact on your uh, household finances is probably the lowest. Mm-hmm. What's well, the uncertainty? Uh, which I think it's the uncertainty. that well, that they that one they think is going to be so. The the higher the number, my understanding is, uh, the higher the percentage, then the more people voted for one year or longer. So I mean, it went from thirty percent to sixty percent, and many of these twenty uh, percent to fifty percent. So it basically, uh, what you can conclude is. It's two to three times more from from the beginning. People thought it was going to be a short thing. Uh, you know, we were going to do lessen the curve, Four, you know, 14 days, keep, keep the hospitals. Yeah, yeah 14, 14, days. 14 day. To, it's the longest to, 14 days of my life. A month and, right, right. And now the majority of people are thinking this is going to be longer than a year or two years. And that leads us to what? A second wave, right? That's what we're hearing about a second wave. Now, has all this well, been a second yeah. wave? No, no, this hasn't been a second wave. No, the second wave only shows up when the WHO, Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci tell you that it shows up. Mm-hmm. And what's the second wave going to be? It's going to be the seasonal flu. That's the second wave. And they are going to publicize every single flu death every single pneumonia death, you bet your bottom dollar. Because guess what? There are no longer flu deaths. There are no longer pneumonia deaths. There are no longer deaths from the common cold with underlying conditions. Everything is now COVID and coronavirus. That's what this is. And if they go to test somebody with any of that, what is the basis of everything I just mentioned? A coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so, I mean, it's just, uh, okay, we, we don't even have to go over all that. But everybody's expecting a second wave. They're looking at an average of a 23-point uh, increase across uh, all the nations that we're talking about here. I think we're uh, in a second wave right now. I, really? Do you think, I think so? We're, I, I think we're in the middle of it. And the reason I say that is uh, we had all the riots and all, all yeah, that, that would, going on. Yeah, that would that, be the second just, wave. But they're, that, that I think they're the saving. Wave, yeah. yeah, but I think they're saving the talking point because Fauci was asked, is this a second wave? Is this our second wave? Uh, no, 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 of course not. Because they're no, saving it no, for the cold and flu season. Yeah. They're saving the narrative right. for cold and flu season. Right, which just starts to kick off towards the end of this month, beginning of next month. That's, that's about when the next season really starts. And um, yeah, that's... This month is, uh, you know, we're almost halfway through this month, so it's not going to be long. They're going to say, oh, second wave started up. They're going to start saying there's an uptick in numbers. And yeah. Uh-huh. Let's talk these numbers right here. OK, it's perception versus reality. The impact. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's look at this. So how many people in your country had the coronavirus? Right. These are the modeling numbers that they predicted. Twenty two percent. OK. Uh, and how many people in your country have died from the coronavirus? Seven percent. Well, that doesn't quite work, does it? People think this is where I said the media comes in. People think the coronavirus is much more prevalent than it actually is. By these numbers right here, these they I mean, honestly, this that the thousand people they surveyed in the U.S., they think that nine percent of the overall country have died. Nine percent. So we've it, maybe if you're going by Joe Biden numbers, maybe. <laughs> I mean, what was it? He said? it we've lost 150 million people to COVID. <laughs> 
Right. Well, here's the thing. That 9%, if you if you read the print next to it, that's 225 times the confirmed deaths by the that's CDC. Crazy. That's crazy. That's a huge number. If you look at Germany, 3%. Okay, 82 million people. Okay, 82 million people. If you were to combine this entire area where I'm at, okay, there's around 350,000 people. They've had three deaths. And you, if you flip on the TV with the mainstream media over here, you think it's Day of the Dead. It's ridiculous. People think 3% of the population of the overall country have passed away. That's 300 times the confirmed deaths of the CDC. It's ludicrous. Same thing with infections, right? I mean, the, the infections or people that have had it and then recovered, those numbers are even high. Those are blown out of proportion by perception versus reality. The U.S., they think 20% of people have had it. 20% of the population they think have had it. That's 20 times the numbers that have been put out by the CDC. And uh, correction, uh, I said uh, the CDC confirmed in Germany. That's not true. It's the Robert Koch Institute, which is essentially the same thing. So that's their version of it. But it's just, yeah, and it's the same way across every country. They're all blown out of proportion. And it's to me, it's the media hype. And it's the government playing up the hype along with the media. What, what do you think? Am I wrong there? Media hype, government hype. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, politicians, social, social media. media. Yeah. Social media. Yep. But anyway, those are some of the numbers. Uh, and it's just I, I, th- I wanted to go over that survey because it's just so crazy. It's just so crazy uh, the way that people blow this out of proportion. So I thought we had to kind of pay a, pay a little bit of mind to it. So, OK, let's uh, let's jump over to Portland. Right. We've been talking about Portland the last few days. Portland has declared a riot again <laughs> after people broke into, excuse me, after peaceful protesters broke into a police union building and they set a peace, a mostly peaceful fire. <laughs> Not quite sure how you set a mostly peaceful fire, but OK. Uh, three police yeah, officers were yeah. injured, including one who was hospitalized uh, as police attempted to clear several hundred protesters from Portland Police Association building. Police said a group from Peninsula Park marched to the PPA building, which is located about five minutes north of the federal courthouse that had been the target of nightly violence earlier this summer. Twenty demonstrators reportedly broke into the building and set the fire and were adding to it when officers made the riot declaration just after 1130 p.m. Officers formed a line outside, used flashbangs and smoke canisters to force the protest several blocks away. Uh, didn't Ted Wheeler declare them like d- didn't he say that they were they were he was calling them like attempted attempting murder or something? What What's he done? The, the useless mayor out there. He was out there marching with them. They called him a fascist. They threw garbage at him. They threw water bottles at him. He got tear gassed when he's standing out there with him. But then he turns around and calls him murderer. So what's going on here? Yeah. So, okay. so sort of. He was saying that um, you're not helping uh, the Democrats or or helping your own cause. You're helping reelect Donald Trump. And and he's also saying that you're acting like murderers. You're attempting murder, basically. So it's not wrong. So earlier Saturday afternoon, protesters held peaceful rallies throughout the city. What, one? Uh, However, after the sun went down, things devolved into another night of chaos reminiscent of the city's Wednesday riot declaration. On Thursday night, leftist protesters attacked the police officers with glass bottles and dumped paint on an elderly woman who was trying to persuade them to stop destroying the city. I saw that video. Did you see that? Man, that was terrible. Uh, No, I've seen pictures and some of the stuff. Yeah, that's that was really that was really sad. A woman standing out there and she's like in front of a boarded up business and she's like, Will you kids just knock this off? Look what you're doing to the city. And they're throwing paint at her 
I mean, the, you know, this this older woman, she's just standing there by herself. And, you know, credit to her for standing out there because I wouldn't be so nice. And they were screaming at her, this isn't your world anymore. Well, okay. Uh, we'll, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. I, I have no respect for people that, that treat our elderly like that. It's, um, it's not just it's not just the elderly. It's everybody. They have no well, respect yeah. for for anybody, for anybody or anything or, or I mean, nothing. It's like it'd be one thing if you if you just simply didn't show respect for uh, for an elderly person. OK, you're you're a piece of garbage just on that alone. But right. when you value nothing, you don't value life. You don't value society. Nothing. They clearly don't value any type of churches or values or or family or anything. So where do you start with the deprogramming process or do you do you? I mean, I think that people still have to try regardless. I mean, that's why we sit here and do this every day. Now, does that mean any of these um, uncultured and and lost individuals are going to listen? Probably not. I'm not sure if you can reach them because they believe in one thing, and that's just destruction. That's all they believe in. So how do you reach it? How how do you reach that? I'm asking that question all the time to people, and nobody seems to have an answer. And that seems to be the talking point that's out there now. Everybody sees the problem, but nobody has an answer. Everybody's waiting for someone to come along and provide some kind of answer. Well, guess what? Somebody's come along now. And they're providing an answer for you. Now, the question is, do you like that answer? And I think most people say no, because everyone seems to see the problem and everyone's looking for an answer to that problem. So how do you get through to one of these kids? I've heard a fun argument. I I say it's fun on how to how to engage with these these people like this. See, the the main problem that we run into when you're when you're trying to debate someone or, or discuss ideas like this and you both differ. The ones on the left typically are emotionally driven. So no amount of facts that you throw at them to dissuade them from their stances or show them that, hey, look, you know, X, Y, and Z, they don't care. It's it's about their emotions, how they feel, how they're... So the way of attack, if you will, is not to throw the statistics at them. What it is, is you find out where they stand, what their position is, and then have them give you the facts and the statistics and whatnot on why they stand the way they stand. More often than not, their their argument will collapse. Of course, it'll still it'll it'll not really I, I don't know that it really gets them to to see anything differently. They they still take the same stances, but yeah. Uh, that that that's been somewhat effective and has has um, garnered some change. I, I don't know what else to say. There's not there, there there's not much. I mean, they're they're unwilling to see re- reason and and logic. And I I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't understand how how do you function as a human? How do you function as a human being without having at least some foundation? The facts, you know. Well, they don't. That. That's that's why they're destructive, because they don't have that foundation. That, that's a very good point. But it's because they don't have that foundation. We've talked about that foundation before. It's having that structure as you come up. It's your upbringing. They don't have any of that. All that's been taken away from them. So they're just they're lost. And they've gone to they've gone to the universities. They've gotten whipped up in this this, this ideological frenzy. And this anarchist Marxist ideology has taken over because that's filled that vacuum, that spiritual vacuum that we've talked about. That's what's taken that place. And it's destructive. It's destructive. Have you ever looked at somebody that was like, have you ever seen those before and after pictures? It's it's amazing. I've, I've seen like videos and things like that of people that like these kids that it was like before they go off to college and then after they get out of college, have you seen what they look like? Like their physical appearance? 
Forget their mental yeah, side. Yeah. Have you seen their physical appearance? How much they've changed? Some yeah. of them. I mean, they. Uh, some of them look the same, close to it, but a goodly percentage of them do not. Some of them, you go and they they do the side by side, and it's like that's not the same person. That is not the same person. Now, how is it that you can go in to an institution and you come out looking like you had your soul sucked out, and you think that you're some kind of woke individual? And I think this is the bigger problem. Those that do come from a family of some kind, and the parents do what they think is right by sending them off to these institutions. They go into the institutions, and then they come back after a couple of years, you know, come home for Christmas or whatever, and she's got, you know, she or he's got, you know, 15 things stuck in their nose and, you know, their head shaved and, and they've, you know, they're talking about how Marx is a god. They can't relate. They're, they can't relate to their own kids anymore and vice versa. They've been told their parents are old fashioned and they don't know what they're talking about. And you're the righteous one. So it creates that divide in our family institutions itself. And so society, it's just a matter of time, right? You're, you're breaking the social fabric of the society itself. I think until we address the issues in the institutions themselves, and I'm talking about these <laughs> these sick academics. And, you know, that's that's really unfair of me to say, because I know some college professors out there and you know something, they are amazing people. They really are. And, and to be honest with you, I mean, I've had some great college professors. You know, I, I had some great professors when I was when I was in college and I didn't wind up like that. And I would have run from anybody that tried to teach me in, in that kind of stuff. I mean, you got to think for yourself. But all this is all this has become this, you know, distorted view of of what reality should be rather than what it is. And so this is the result now. This is the end result of the indoctrination of one to two generations in an ideology that is quite frankly a century out of date. The academic world has changed though since you've been through it. I mean, even in that short amount of time, things have changed so drastically. It's I mean, even even when I was, you know, going through school, like the difference between school from uh, when you were in, because th there's a, there's a small age gap between the two of us. Even even that short span, there there was so much that changed. Like you didn't experience the participation trophies, right? Uh, no, I did. I, I did, but it wasn't. You did. You, you did. Yeah, okay. we, we talked about them a little bit uh, the other day. We talked about participation trophies. Mm -hmm. I did, but mm -hmm. I, I remember getting like a sixth place and an eighth place trophy once, and I thought, wait a minute, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't doesn't really doesn't work. It didn't do anything for me, but it was the start. Okay. Uh, it was the start of participation yeah. trophies. Yeah, it was kind of the beginning of it. So I don't know. It's just things have changed so much between the generations and whatnot that the the, for example, our parents saying. Hey, you know, the kids should go to college and, you know, it's not that bad and blah. No, it, it's vastly different from then to now. Even even in the short time of 10 years, it's changed a lot. And to say that you're not going there getting indoctrinated is um, false. Um, you're, <laughs> pretty much every college, there's there's only a, a handful that are that are not bad. I, I mean, you're probably your smaller colleges, community colleges might be better ish. OK, but um, when you start getting to like universities and that sort of thing, nah, it's it's you only go there, as GP has said, you only go there for the connections. Not not to try to broaden your thinking. I wanted to end here on a letter that General Flynn put out. Now everybody knows who General Flynn is. Do you have a backstory on him? Why he's going through all this stuff? Uh, yeah, because he dared say anything negative about Obama when he was in office. Uh, basically, he had a different opinion on how things should be run. And it just so happened that his opinion was the correct one. And, you know, instead of 
Benghazi and some of the other stuff that happened during the Obama administration. He was he was against it. And he also helped with some of the other things that were going on in the Obama administration as far as the anti-terror stuff and military actions. And he knows where the bodies are buried, the the dirty stuff that Obama, the administration did. And as such, the Obama administration tried to torpedo him and just screw him over. And um, yeah, now here we are. And he's put out a, uh, a statement to the American people, uh, and I wanted to read it here. Now, I, I did not write this. OK, I can't take credit for something this this good. Uh, and believe me, it's it's quite good. And I, I wanted to read it here. He didn't say it in, in verbal form on on audio or something or I play it, uh, but he didn't do that. So he, he put it out and I, I'd like to read it here. And this is how we're going to end. But basically, he's issued an emergency warning to the American people. Uh, and he has said that communists are attempting to overthrow the United States. And the entire world is threatened. Uh, and I can't say that I disagree with him. I mean, this is what I've been studying about for the last 10 years of my life is this type of movement, whether it comes from the right or it comes from the left, any type of Marxist movement, those that understand it can see it coming a mile away. And this man can see it coming a mile away. He says, we're witnessing a vicious assault by enemies of all that is good. And our president is having to act in ways unprecedented in decades, maybe centuries. The biblical nature of good versus evil cannot be discounted as we examine what is happening on the streets of America. It's Marxism in the form of Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movement versus our very capable and very underappreciated law enforcement professionals, the vast majority of whom are fighting to provide us safe and secure homes, streets, and communities. When the destiny of the United States is at stake, and it is, the very future of our entire world is threatened. And that goes for people, Flynn didn't say this part, I'm saying it. That goes for the people outside of America as well. As Christians, shouldn't we act? We recognize that divine providence is the ultimate judge of our destiny. Achieving our destiny as a freedom-loving nation, providence compels us to do our part in our communities. It encourages us in this battle against the forces of evil to face our fears head on. No enemy on earth is stronger than the united forces of God-fearing, freedom-loving people. We can no longer pretend that these dark forces are going to go away by mere prayer alone. Prayers matter, but action is required. This action is needed at the local, state, and federal levels. Action is also required in the economic, media, clerical, and ecclesiastical realms. Decide how you can act within your abilities. Stand up and state your beliefs. Be proud of who you are and what you stand for. And face head-on those community, quote, leaders who are willing to allow dark forces to go beyond peaceful protests and destroy and violate your safety and your security. Churches and houses of worship must return to normal. We invite everyone of goodwill to not shrink their responsibilities and instead act in a fraternal fashion. If for no other reason or with no other ability, act in spirit of charity. We cannot disrespect or disregard natural law along with our own religious liberties and freedoms. I am witnessing elderly people lose their connection to all that is good in their lives, connections to their faith, their families, and their individual freedoms, especially the simple act of attending church, something they've been doing for decades. Let us not be intimidated or fear those who cry out that we are in the minority. We are not. Good is always more powerful and will prevail over evil. However, evil will succeed for a time when good people are divided from each other and their personal lives their children away from their teachers, preachers from their congregations, customers from their local businesses. 
America will never give in to evil. Americans work together to solve problems. We do not and should not ever allow anarchy and the evil forces behind it to operate on any street in our nation. No one should have to fear for their very life because some dark, disturbed force is challenged by the very essence of what America stands for. We are one nation under God, and it is our individual liberties that make us strong, not liberties given to our government. Our government has no liberty unless and until we the people say so. God bless America, and let's stand by everything that was and is good in our lives, in our communities, and our country. Otherwise, America, as the true North Star for humanity, will cease to exist as we know it.